Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing uh, the new Harry Potter film, uh, kind of Harry Potter film, Wizarding World uh, Harry Potter film, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. We also, we'll also be looking at the new Steve McQueen film, Widows. We're going to have a conversation about streaming and uh, what, what may be coming in the future. So look forward to that in between our reviews. And before we get to all of that, we need to go over the news. We took a week off, so we're a little late to this one, but this is important and we couldn't miss it. Uh, the first story, Stan Lee uh, dies at 95 years old. He passed away um, just last week. Very unfortunate. What, what can be said? Uh, Andy, what do you think? Well, on the one hand, it's not a surprise. The man was 95. He was older. Um, but, you know, it is, it is a huge loss. He was integral to the development of both comic books and modern film. It can't be denied. He created some of the most well-known um, properties, Spider-Man, X-Men, Iron Man, um, and then that eventually translated into film. So he's had a huge impact on two very different mediums. It's true. Uh, Lee's, obviously his impact on the comic world is undeniable, but, but I think his impact on film is certainly undeniable too. In a very indirect way. I don't think he set out way back in the day. In, in uh, God, he started his business in 1939. I don't think he started that back in the day going, man, I want to make an impact on Hollywood. Like that wasn't his thing. He, he, he just wanted sure. to tell stories. And somehow after all these years, it's almost 1939, 80 years or so, uh, after all these years, like it's come back around, and and Hollywood has really embraced the the Stanley superhero mentality, and it's it's his impact is truly undeniable uh, on on the medium. I think. Yes, the way modern comic books dominate cinema is completely different from how it was ten twenty years ago, um, and that that's it set the stage for. I mean, I don't even know what's coming next, but uh, we're going to continue to get large, big budget comic book f films uh, for quite some time. Not to put you on the spot, because we didn't talk about this before we got started or anything. You got a, uh, just while I'm thinking about it, favorite favorite Lee cameo? I'll start. I'll give you a minute to think about I, it. I, I do I do have one, but go, go on. Oh, do you really? Oh, man, you're, you're ready to go. I, I hate to say my favorite is is Mallrats, because it's, it's like one of the most <laughs> obvious okay. and the most long-winded bits. But no, genuinely, he's got a great scene in there. And looking back, he he's just looks so much... I hate to say healthier. It just looked kind of slick, man. Looking at Stan Lee, I was like, Stan Lee had a little bit of game in Mallrats. Like he had a little something <laughs> going for him. He wore the glasses, and he wasn't—he wasn't like a totally old dude like we've come to see him in Marvel movies now. Like he's—he had a little something, a little bit of black in his hair still. You know, a little bit of salt and pepper there. Uh, mad nice. respect for the man. How about you? Okay, so this is actually uh, just a funny story of what happened. And so I was watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think that's what it was, and then. I, I was actually there on a date, someone I was seeing, and when the Stanley cameo came up, I totally was that guy that leaned over and said, "That's Stanley." <laughs> and then I got a real big scowl after sure. <laughs> after that. So, Somebody has to be that guy. Well, it's really so, a uh, yeah. I I come explain to someone, and um, yeah, good for you. Somebody's gotta right. Hey, uh, it, well, it's. <laughs> It's a bummer, but like you said, it's not. It, it doesn't feel super sudden. I think it was everything. It was something everybody was kind of ready for in a way. Um, and he's going to be sorely missed. I think uh, uh, someday, like any film movement, uh, uh, superhero films will will begin to slide. Uh, in, you know, they'll 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 be in the uh, 
kind of kind of in the rear view. They'll they'll be sure. in the sunset and 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 regardless of when that happens, I think Stanley will always be remembered uh, as a really cool guy. And that's yeah. I yeah. I always kind of compare it to the western. Um, yeah, very much so. That, yeah. That that while the western kind of died down in popularity, they still make western films every single year. There's always several. There's always really good ones, and I think it'll be the same way with comics. We may not have you know three, four, five comic book films a year, but I think we're always going to have a few. Mm. Our next story uh, relates more to our, our death of cinema segment in the middle of the show, but it's important to talk about this now. Netflix is testing cheaper mobile-only subscription tiers. This is fascinating. Uh, th- th- I don't want to give away the punchline on this one because it's it's hilarious. Uh, Andy, I w- please take it away. It's an honor. Okay, so Netflix is looking into a mobile-only tier of pricing, which will be for mobile phones and tablets, and will be half pr- price, so probably five six dollars um, to it, to be able to stream just on y- your mobile device. Right. You will not be able to stream to an Xbox or a Roku or a smart TV. It will exclusively work on a phone or a tablet, and that is it, and it, co- it costs half price. Fascinating stuff, um, right. and it's certainly a little scary for the film world, but first, let's talk about what this means for Netflix. Um, is there any chance they have success with this? Oh, absolutely. So everyone I've talked to about this, like they kind of roll their eyes and say, well, I, I would never get that. I don't want to watch a movie on my phone, but that that's very narrow-sighted. Because in the international markets, mobile is king. Apparently, the the growth in mobile viewing um, is like something like 30, 40 percent. Yeah. Um, so in the international space, like I said, mobile viewing and tablet viewing is is really big. Yeah. So I so they have a, a tier there that, that with a lot of potential growth. I think it it seems so short sighted. To me, like I get Netflix has got to has got to make their money. Uh, I get Netflix and Hulu do not turn profit every year, um, so anything helps. Uh, but man, like it just seems like such an odd space to try to make a buck. And and I believe Netflix and Hulu and any other streaming service they are on those stats. They got those statistics and they know where people at, are at. Like you said, it's huge international markets. Uh, in July, Cameron Johnson, Netflix's director of Product innovation, what a title, said that 60% of members around the world now open Netflix's mobile app at least once a month. 60% of Netflix users use it on a phone at least once a month. I don't. I never have. But I have an Xbox. I can go home and turn it on and watch, uh, exactly. which is how I do it. Uh, somebody pointed out uh, that we were talking to about this earlier this week that uh, what about people who could use like, uh, uh, what, what am I looking for here? A Google, not a Google Home, but a, a Chromecast. That's it. Uh, and or an Apple TV and stream Netflix from their phone to their device um, <laughs> and watch it on their television. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, f- I figured that they've thought of that and they're probably going to have a workaround or a way to stop people from doing that. Or and even if they can't, they're they're not going after the American market. They're going after everywhere else with yeah. this tier. And if it comes over here, I think it'll be. I just I don't see that being that big of a deal. You know, I, I don't see, and if it is, it's not like anybody's gonna be talking about it. But I, I don't see you going, going to work tomorrow and, and hanging out around the water cooler and somebody going, "Hey, so I downgraded my Netflix for half price, and you should do it too." Like, I, I just, I don't see that taking off. I'm sure it'll have a niche audience. Everything does, um, but for what it's worth, it just does not seem like a tremendous deal. But it's certainly enough to warrant having a conversation because Netflix 
It's got to make that cheddar. They got to do something. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see them develop new pricing tiers based on their customer base and based on trends that they're seeing. Yeah, and our last uh, story this week. Apple taps A24 to produce a slate of films. I actually hadn't have hadn't read this before you sent it over, so I don't want to I don't want to speak for you. Uh, please take it away. What's what's the deal here? So next year, Apple will be releasing its own streaming service, which we're going to talk about more later. And part of what they're doing is they're grabbing talent, and so they've made a multi-picture deal with A24, who has been a powerhouse of new and independent cinema over the last five or six years. Um, so that's, that's basically the story. They've, they've made a deal. They're going to be making films for Apple's proprietary streaming service. It's interesting. Uh, Apple has dabbled a bit in television kind of stuff and developing like series. Uh, this is one of their first big film packs. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how to feel about it, honestly. Like, on the one hand, I like the idea of, of development of, of products and distribution of products being two separate things when it comes to creative works, things like film. I like the idea that a studio makes it and somebody else puts it out, and when you start to bring those together, I worry you get some um, some dangerous kind of groupthink cohesion uh, in, in the way things are made and sold. Um, but for what it's worth, I, I, I'm interested to see why Apple wants to get into the film space and what they hope to do once they've got a foothold in it. What does that mean for Apple, the maker of phones, you know? And I'm not sure yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's the biggest company in the world right now, biggest company in the, in the country. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And again, this is going to play into our uh, streaming conversation later. And I am uh, I'm surprised to see A24 attached to this. Uh, you make a good point. Apple is one of the biggest, if not the biggest company in the world right now. Um, A24 is a big deal. I love the stuff they make. Um, you're right. I, I should probably save more of this for the conversation down the road. Uh, but I, just before we get to that, kind of a, a preamble for it. I, I'm fascinated at how many film producers, directors, and creators uh, and studios that I, I really respect are working with streaming services. It's a fascinating thing because they don't have to. Um, they've, oh, got the, they've got the clout to avoid it. And they're they're dancing with the devil. And I don't know what that means, but we'll get into it uh, shortly, I guess. And with that, we should move on to our first review of the evening. Uh, the film is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Address. What's that? A safe house in Paris. Why would I need a safe house in Paris? Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go. You know, for a cup of tea. My brothers. So Fantastic Beasts is the sequel to uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a uh, film that came out in 2012, off the top of my head. I have no idea if that's right. You, you know? Uh, tw 2016. Not even close. 2016. Yes, uh, <laughs> that is a... Kind of spiritual follow-up, I should say, and also technically a um, preamble, precursor. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Prequel. Pre That's it. Pre uh, to the Harry Potter series. It was written by J.K. Rowling. Rowling. It was based off of her kind of short novella that came from the Harry Potter series, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald is the story, is the continued story of uh, Newt Scamander, our, our main character played by Eddie Redmayne, a... a 
kind of interesting individual uh, uh, who who's fairly antisocial and finds finds love in the comfort of, of creatures around him and the and the fantastic beasts of the wizarding world. The story is set in 1927. It takes place in primarily Paris. It is about the escape and subsequent uh, crimes of a character named Grindelwald, played by Johnny Depp, the bad guy in the movie, uh, and his kind of pursuit by Newt Scamander uh, and and the, the forces of good, uh, Albus Dumbledore, played by Jude Law, uh, and, and a couple other characters, um, to to stop Grindelwald and his, his big scheme to take over uh, the world. Um, that is the simplest way I can think to cover this plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's a I, lot going on in there. I saw, okay, I, I was on, I thought this was perfect for the show. I was, I'm excited to drop it here. Uh, I saw a review, uh, review, an Ask Reddit thread, all right? Uh, it was very, fairly unrelated to this, but it was a couple days after the movie came out. The Ask Reddit thread was, virgins who are over 30, what's taking so oh, long? Oh, God. <laughs> yes. And, and and one of the second one of the first responses on there with a bunch of upvotes was some guy talking about his, his personality and his poor social skills and he said uh, I, I I'm I'm fairly ugly and my face has more holes in it than the new Fantastic Beast film. <laughs> oh god! And I thought that was great. Uh, this movie to me was style, well, arguably substance over style in a weird way. Um, it it's got a lot to say. It is a very big film. It is going. For an epic setting, but with a two-hour and fifteen-minute runtime, it has a lot of characters and it spins a lot of plates. And arguably, it doesn't spin all of them really well. It does a yeah. lot right, but it does a bit wrong. And I want to talk about that. Andy, what did you think of Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald? Okay, so I actually got to see it twice. Um, you did. Yeah. I saw it on Thursday and, and Friday, um, uh, which was glad I was able to kind of understand it a little bit better. Um, overall, I liked it. There's there's a lot going on. You know, you, we get to revisit the world of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and you know, we, there's big effects, big name actors, epic story, all that. Um, so as a piece of entertainment, I, it works really well. It does have some issues. Um, number one is that uh, for me was the pacing was very off. It seemed like it would start to pick up and get going, and then you would be back to a real slow scene that felt like it belonged in the first act. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of kept happening to me. The other part is that the the plot is incredibly overcomplicated and convoluted and a little difficult to follow. Yeah. It, it helped seeing it a second time to with that part. Go ahead. Right. Uh, I wanted to say the film is... Well, I guess let's just dig into uh, the writing and directing first. That seems like a good place to start, right? Uh, the film is written by J.K. Rowling herself. She came back and wrote this, which is great. It's funny, the other film uh, uh, we're talking about today, Widows, also written by a, a, a novel writer, so that's interesting. Um, this one, it's, it's, it's written in a way that I think is, is positive for the series, and it certainly sets up potential for future films, which have been announced. They've actually announced Fantastic Beasts 3, 4, and 5 already. Um, right. All supposed to be directed by David Yates, who not only directed this one, but for people who don't know, David Yates also directed Harry Potter 5, 6, and Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2, so 7 and 8, and the last Fantastic Beasts film. So he's all in on Harry Potter. That is what this yeah. guy is doing. He is, he, is, he is the George Lucas of Harry Potter films, even though George Lucas didn't direct Star Wars. Um, it's, it's really 
really disjointed. Almost like almost like my review so far. It's it's a little all over the place. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm really struggling here. We took a week off. I apologize. Uh, it's it's a little all over the place. It has a lot of characters. Uh, we, we walked out of this, and Christine, who was supposed to review this with me, so if she, in case she listens to this, apologies. I hope you don't hate what I'm doing so far. Uh, she she said she liked it, and I said, name ten characters in that movie. Name ten of them. Like, hit me with their first and last name. Because there's, there's more than ten. This movie juggles a lot. And, yeah. she, I mean, you can't do it. Like, there's so many characters it tries to juggle. It brings in... Almost the entire cast from the previous film, which to me was not necessarily a good thing, and introduces a handful of characters for this one. And it tries to kind of meld them, and it didn't really need to. And, and I think that was an issue in the writing. I think I think Rowling was leaning on uh, kind of her old style of keeping all of these characters together through films, kind of like the Harry Potter crew through the movies, and that's great, but this doesn't... It doesn't need to be that way, right? Like, it could have been its own little thing. You could have introduced a couple new characters and stuck with the new ones you've gotten here, and it would have worked out. Instead, it felt like they kind of ham-fisted, uh, in a ham-fisted manner, kind of just tried to sweep all the old characters from the previous film into this one. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I would agree that, that that doesn't help with the plot convolution. Um, one of the big issues for me is that the first Fantastic Beasts felt really fresh. Like, we were in the world but this was a fresh story. This film doesn't feel that way. This feels like we were getting prequelitis, like the Star Wars prequel. We're starting to now plug in lots of names and places and uh, references to the original Harry Potter series. And that's kind of a dangerous area to be in because you begin to pigeonhole yourself and it becomes about like, uh, you know, nostalgia bait, uh, essentially. Sure. So that so that's kind of it's beginning to tread into that territory. And one of the descriptions I heard of the movie was, you know, it's like a filler episode in something like Game Game of Thrones. You know, it's episode <laughs> two and three while you're waiting for stuff to happen in episode four and five. Yeah, I I I, I agree, and, and that sh- it shouldn't be that way. If anything, I, I saw the first Fantastic Beast and I thought, you know. It, it, it had some missteps. It's certainly not my favorite film. But if they come out with another one, I'll see it. Because I want to see where this is going. And then I watched this one, and, and I I kind of feel the same way. But at the same time, like I felt like they were trying to almost like give it, a, give, it a, give it a jump start. Yank on that cord again, you know, and really get it going. Really get people fired up to see 3, 4, and 5 in the subsequent Wizarding World universe they're setting up here. But by bringing in... The characters from the previous one that, by the way, wrapped up pretty well at the end of the first Fantastic Beast. They, they, they put a nice bow on that for the most part. Um, by bringing them in, it makes it seem like you weren't confident in the ending in the, of the previous film. And it makes me feel like you're not really confident in where this is going either. Um, right. Which is not to give anything away, but what I kind of got out of the ending of this movie. It just it was very much like, all right, come, come see the next one in two years, you know. Um, it, it, it feels... Cheap, begins almost. to have that that Marvel problem where um, each movie just feels like a two-hour trailer for the next movie. Right. But uh, to credit where it's due, this movie uh, does not have a post-credit sequence or mid-credits sequence, sequence right. which was right. really surprising. Uh, the, we hit the credits and Christine hopped up. All right, let's go. So we're going to stick around and watch the, the post-credits scene. She said, there, there wasn't one. I was like, really? And she got on Google it. Sure enough, I was like, mad respect? I In the age of Marvel <laughs> films, mad respect for any film that doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about real quick some things the movie did well because I don't like I I don't sure, want this yeah, to be a whole yeah. 
Yeah, Go exactly. Ahead. I mean, my uh, like I said, I, I overall I I enjoyed the movie and I liked it. Um, so yeah, even though we're we're kind of harping on the negatives, there's definitely things I like. Good good performances again. Good effects. One of the things that really stands out to me is that uh, I feel like these films are a little bit more mature, a little bit more adult and grown up. And if you think about the yeah. the the area of or the age of people, if you grew up with Harry Potter in the late nineties and into the two thousands, then you're a full fledged adult by now, probably. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the movies are growing up a little bit. And one of the ways you see that is with like the costumes. They you know they're not wearing like the the elaborate robes and things like that from the Harry Potter films or actual like street clothes. Um, but the th- the themes are much more mature and the character of, of Grendelwald is definitely, you know, he's meant to be a parallel to Hitler and that's where the, uh, you know, the time period, the, the mid twenties when in, in, you know, he has a very attractive message and, and he attracts a number of people to his cause, people that are, uh, kind of ostracized or isolated or feel like they don't belong. And so, you know, that really is, is an important aspect that they are touching on these really pretty big deal adult themes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and I, um, I, I struggled to figure out who the film, like, I mean, cause I, cause I, I thought that when I was watching it, who, who is this film aimed at? Who, like, who is this made for? It's certainly not made for children. It's certainly not made for adults. Like I, I, I would say it kind of aims for that young adult kind of space, but for what it's worth, like with so many characters and so many like interweaving plot lines here, it's tough for me to find a good like barometer for, yeah, like who exactly should, should be seeing this film that's going to understand it and keep up with everything and keep up with all these characters and enjoy it. It's got, it's got its callbacks to Harry Potter. Um, it, it, there, there's a bit in there where they play the, you know, the Harry Potter theme as they will. I can't imagine they'll keep doing that, right? Like at some point they're going to have to stop doing that in these movies. Um, I hope. Uh, so that that tell will that go, to Star Wars, right? Yeah, I, I would think that would go away eventually. But um, I guess this is made for Harry Potter fans. I guess it is. Oh, definitely. But there were definitely some things in here, and not, and I don't know if we can talk about this without giving anything away that that you had mentioned that I thought rang very true when I walked out of this movie. There are things in here that Harry Potter fans, like Star Wars fans, aren't going to like. There's things they're not going to agree with. So sure, yeah. at the risk of offending your fan base, I'm, I'm unsure why they made those decisions. I don't get like certain plot points. and I'm not sure if they did that to try to hook new people or to make old people angry or, or what they were going <laughs> for here. Changing hearts well, and minds. What do you think? I always feel, and I've felt like this with Star Wars, is that they're not worried about the fans. The fans are going to see the movie, even if they go online and and you know tear it up and rant and rave and send death threats or or whatever. The fans are going to see it no matter what. Uh, you know, even if they hear bad things, the fans want to see it, and so they can comment. And so they're not worried about that group. They are worried about the non Harry Potter fan or like the casual Harry Potter fan and making right. sure it appeals to that group because the other groups already sold on it. Um, something else I like before I get too far into it, I did really enjoy the performances and I really, really dug the set design and the look of everything. Everything felt really real. There were definitely times I had to stop and remind myself, oh yeah, this is filmed on a soundstage somewhere because it didn't feel like it. They, they made Paris right. feel very vibrant. Locations felt like they were in the city, whether that was shooting on location or just some very clever green screen. Like everything felt very good. The Ministry of Magic, where a lot of the film takes place, 
all looked real slick. Uh, it, you know, it's got that very, a lot of like black brickwork and it's got a very unique kind of look to it. Sure. And that all felt real good. The magic all felt great. I like the look. And I think that's David Yates coming in and his, his work with Harry Potter. I think that's where that comes from. And that all felt really good. That energy felt good. Um, but a lot of it, like, I, I guess I have to find myself suspending my disbelief throughout the thing. Right. Really? I, ideally you're watching a sure. film about magic. You kind of just have to sit back and, and be whisked away to the, to the, to the, the, the Alice in Wonderland of Harry Potter here. But at some point, like, I, I, I really think I just got caught up in the writing and, and trying to juggle so many characters. I, I don't get what the value is in bringing back previous characters whose storylines you had tied up in the last film. I don't get why right. you had to bring back Dan Fogle. I, I don't, I don't, he didn't need to be in this movie. I don't think I'm not sure what he offers to the next film. I, I and, and a lot of the times I felt like he being one of the few uh, humans in the movie, uh, nomads or, or muggles or whatever you refer to them as, uh, he just kind of stumbles around. He, he offers some comedic relief, I suppose. Um, he just didn't feel like he needed to be there. And I was like, man, you should, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to bust out the, the red pen and write some of these things off. Edit, you know, take, take care of this stuff. And I do wonder if they just, they went with J.K. Rowling's word as gospel. You know, whatever she says, we're doing. Like, she's, she's the writer. Right. She's, she's the, the mastermind. What, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think about it at the time. There are definitely way too many characters. And, it's just but, I mean, a lot. I, I imagine that original cast from the first movie has like a five picture deal in there, uh, you know, going to be tying in. And some of them are referenced like Lita Lestrange is, is mentioned in the first movie. And so we right. get to see her in, in this one played uh, really um, well by Zoe Kravitz. Almost. I mean, I did not oh, yeah. know it was Zoe Kravitz till the credits. I, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she yeah, was she's fantastic. In she's in everything these days. She is. She was in Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, um, I did want to talk about Eddie Redmayne. Um, Particularly, his performance as, as Newt Scamander is fascinating to me because he certainly has some elements of people have said Asperger's. Yes. Um, he 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 does not make on eye contact with people. Yes, he he's very he's very particular. And uh, on the one hand, I feel a sentiment towards him. Uh, on the other hand, he's difficult to relate to. And when you have a film where your protagonist is difficult to relate to, it's tough for a lot of people to get into it. Um, and it's kind of where I landed. I'm like, I, I don't get him. I don't understand sure. him. I, I, I feel for him um, in like a sympathetic kind of way, but it's difficult for me to to be like, yeah, I, I get I get why Newt's doing what he's doing. I understand. Um, sure. And I, I, I don't think that's any slight, certainly no slight against Eddie Redman who plays the character wonderfully. Um, I, I, what did you think? Was that something that you noticed, though, or was that just me? I, I don't know. Uh, not really. I, I, I definitely like his character. I think he's really unique, and and not just the way he acts. It, it's in the way he moves, and the way like, the way he walks, the way he's like kind of skittish. Yeah. Um. It's know, it's it, a very it's fine a, performance. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole embodiment. Uh, the that he does and. Yeah, I mean, I really like it, um, but but I do think we need to kind of begin wrapping up. Yeah, <laughs> well. we we talk about this way too long. It's true. <laughs> uh, I like I said, it's, I took a week off, and I apologize for the disjointed nature of this one. But um, overall, like for all the for all the bad I'm pointing out here, um, I, I should say I did enjoy it. I did, and and just like the first one, 
this is enough to make me want to see the next one. Uh, I'll go see Fantastic Beasts 3. There's nothing in here that I thought, I'm done, I'm out on this series. Like, it's it's really pretty interesting. And I think a second watch will give me a lot more uh, insight into things when I'm not so busy trying to juggle the plot. Like you said, that certainly sure, helped sure. you. So um, I guess, that being said, Andy, uh, would you recommend Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald? Uh, yes, absolutely. Overall, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. It's entertaining. There's good effects. There's some more kind of mature adult themes explored. So overall, I definitely recommend it. Um, there are just a, a couple of issues. Again, the biggest one is pacing and then a kind of over-convoluted plot. Um, but other, other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I would recommend it with caveats, of course. Uh, I, I think it's definitely a good, you know, date movie. It's good to, you know, go with somebody else. Probably a pretty good family flick. Yeah, I don't know what your what your parental values are like, but for what it's worth, I think it's a safe movie to go see your parents with, go see with your parents or whatever. Uh, take your cousin to go see over the holidays. I'm sure it'll do well over Thanksgiving holiday, which is very rapidly approaching. Uh, I I think it will get buried very soon by uh, you know we're coming up on Oscar season. We're coming up on a lot of big movies. Yeah. I think this one's going to get pushed to the side very quickly. But for what it's worth, it'll make its money. Uh, I think it's worth your time, um, but I wouldn't say, I don't know. I feel like if you're at the theater and you're trying to decide between this and something else, definitely give the other thing some thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not. It's it's just, um, I, I, I I struggled with it. Christine loved it. Um, it's it's not for everybody, but it may just be for you. So that's fantastic piece. Uh, mm-hmm. Good good God. I'm so glad you get to take the next review because, <laughs> man, I'm all over the place with this thing. Okay, our next segment we should talk about. Uh, shoot, I don't, I don't want to take it away. Andy, please do the honors. It's time for the death of cinema. So as we know, a lot of a lot is happening in the streaming world. Uh, in 2019, we are going to get two giants into the streaming game. Disney is launching their service called Disney Plus, which will Mm -hmm. launch, I think, late 2019. Apple will also launch their proprietary streaming service. And also Time Warner is also working on its streaming service. So we're going to have three new streaming services that are spending lots of money um, on property in addition to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and HBO Go. So there's a whole lot happening in the new year. Um, and one one of the things we alluded to with Apple buying uh, A24, I believe Time Warner made a, a deal with Paramount. So what's happening right now is a land grab of talent. All the streaming services are trying to get the best talent in Hollywood, make series, make movies, make deals, and see who comes out on top. So Zach, what what do you think? What do you think of all these services? Well, I I'll, I'll start with the cynical approach. Um, <laughs> this is usually where I do everything in my life. Uh, you get enough streaming services, you you flood the market, and and everybody loses, right? Like that's that's typically how things go with new products, uh, and that's that's certainly a danger because you get enough of these things, you're basically back at a cable subscription. People are right. only going to subscribe to so many. Looking at Netflix, who as much as I was giving them hell in the first bit, may be making a smart move with a budget approach to streaming. Uh, I think we need to worry about pricing for these things and what's what it's going to cost. Uh, most streaming right. services on average are about, what, $13 a month? I think that's a $12 sure. a month. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know where Apple and Disney are going to come in, but they're going to need to come in pretty close to that, preferably under to try to try to hook people. But either way, man, I I, I think like anybody who, who's an appreciator of, of film and television, it sucks that there's this many, right? From the consumer angle, am I wrong to feel like we're kind of losing on this one? Like we're not, you know, what do you think? Well, I kind of feel it's the opposite because all these streaming services are, they're going to just invest in the creation of, a lot of proprietary um, or new IPs or things like like Disney is releasing two live action Star Wars series and they're spending huge amounts of money. They're spending Game of Thrones level money on on these series, 10, 12 million an episode. Sure. So, I mean, that's that's pretty, pretty exciting. And also, I mean, I imagine that, that they'll also spend just as much or, you know, large amounts on, on film. So I think as a consumer, we're going to win out because they're competing for our love, if you will. <laughs> I, I agree to a point. Uh, I'm not thinking so much about new content. I'm thinking about content that's already out there and the idea that things will be split. Like there, I, there's never going to be a Spotify for film. It just has everything. Like it's not gonna. Right. And even and, and to be fair, even Spotify doesn't have everything. So that analogy only gets me so far. There's never gonna be a Spotify for television. And for for just a minute, it felt like there was gonna be. There was like Netflix and Hulu, and that was about it. And then HBO yeah. started to get into it, but still, that's mostly HBO. So if you're not into that, you don't have to. Amazon Prime is swinging, and now we've got Disney and Apple hot on the trail, and they want a piece of that streaming money. And I get it. There's a lot of it, and, and there's probably arguably enough to go around here, but I, I wonder where allegiances are going to lie and where things are going to go. We know Disney has a majority sharehold in Hulu, so that's kind of their bag right now, uh, and they're right. developing their own thing. I don't know what that means for Hulu, whether there will be some kind of merger, whether they'll just kind of hang on to it or sell it to the highest bidder. I, I don't know where that, that puts us, but that being said, Disney is a huge service, and them having arguably two of these is a big deal. They, they've got they've got some power to choke some people out. They can they, they right. can run some folks out of town, and I don't know what that means. I don't. Um, but I I just wonder, uh, do we stand to lose more than we stand to gain? And your argument is no, because no, I, yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I I think I think the consumer will win out. Um, uh, so it's interesting. So Hulu will is where Disney will 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 put its more adult um, products or films and series, and Disney as since you know since time immemorial will always be f kind of family friendly sure um it's also interesting so you you mentioned price so with apple if you own certain apple products the service will actually be included it will actually be free so like for instance if you have an apple tv you're gonna automatically have a free subscription or th that it'll just be included because you bought you bought the product and then i think they'll have some paid tiers or something like that that's clever and and probably a good way, you know, cell phones or whatever. Black Friday, they can they can say, hey, fifty bucks off the new iPhone, and you get six months of our streaming service or whatever. Like that's a clever way to kind of package that in with hardware. Um, it's the Amazon Prime approach, right? Get Prime, get get our get our, our service free, which exactly. is great. Um, it's clever and it's a good way to go. Uh, uh, Hulu has partnered with Spotify, and there's a way you can bundle that. They've also partnered with HBO and Showtime. Um, Netflix, I think, is kind of standing on its own. And arguably, the one who stands to lose the most here, right? Am I am I wrong for thinking that? What do you think? Netflix, that they yeah. stand to lose the most? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to have some really healthy competition, and that's 
I mean, I mean, I imagine if Disney is successful, they will try and like buy Netflix or or something like that. I I think they see it as an opportunity to like. There's so much money to be, to be made in streaming that they're going to come out swinging. They're going to come. They plan to win and shove other people out. And I I think I could see myself getting rid of Netflix for one of these other services, depending on what kind of properties are available. Sure, me too. Which is crazy for me to think. I, I, I one, I'm looking forward. One day there's going to be a headline that's like Netflix is dead. Long live Netflix. You know, like it'll, <laughs> and that's crazy because Netflix was was the pioneer in all of this. Um, but blood alone turns the wheels of history, right? And if you got a good enough idea, capitalism says that other people can can use it and go somewhere else with it. Net, Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox, Disney's growth is a frightening thing. Um, for what could happen in Netflix, but Netflix is certainly doing their own. They're playing their own game. They're creating original series, which is what everybody's doing. You're right. Um, I just I don't know if that's enough to to hold water over the long term. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to come up with some kind of partner deal or hardware or some kind of additional service. I think um, may, maybe this maybe this phone thing is a first step towards that. And I do want to talk about speaking of original content created in here, uh, something I teased in our last news segment the creation of really quality content, really quality content. Something that came out recently that we're planning on watching for next week's show, sneak peek, is, is Netflix's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, sure. That's a Joel and Ethan Cohen film. And that's Netflix exclusive, which is, well, it might've come out in theaters as well. I, I, what do you think? I think they're, they're planning release. on a theatrical release in December. Gotta get that Oscar money, right? That's what that's all about. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and... and Al, Al, Alfonso Cuaron's new film, Roma, is a Netflix exclusive. A24 is signing a deal with Apple to make things for them. It's weird to me that on the one hand, you've got directors like Steven Spielberg who are saying Netflix is horrible, it's killing film. They look at that deal for them going mobile and they, they flip out like, oh my God, you guys are ruining the industry. On the other hand, you have hot up-and-coming directors, or in the in case of the Coens, uh, who've been in the game for a while, who are completely leaning into this. Like it, right. We really do have an interesting divide there, and I don't know what that means for the future of streaming. Well, I, to me, it means that you know you have minds that are adapting with the times and changing, and you have uh, people who are afraid of change and uh, you know attempt to gatekeep what is and isn't cinema. <laughs> sure, a hot a hot topic on this show: what is and isn't cinema. Uh, and for what it's worth, I think it'll work out. I really do. Like, uh, unfortunately, you can't look at television right now and tell me, you know what? Television's working out. Things are going great. Like, things are going the way of the stream. Things are going the way of watching stuff on your cell phone. And in the case of film, I think there will always be a place for a film on a screen. I really believe that. On a big screen, I should say. Uh, there will always... Go ahead. Absolutely. No, that, that that, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, so people, because I see people say, you know, are, are we even going to have theaters in 20 years? Or there's going to be, there, there are going to be nostalgia items. Or there, I'm like, how long have we been doing plays? <laughs> how old sure. is that form of How long art? have we been doing oh, live music and orchestral yeah. pieces? Yeah. It's, it's I mean, not the, that crazy. Yeah. I mean, the stage play is thousands of years old. I think we're, I think we're going to still, we're always going to have movies and movie theaters, but how many and how prolific and all that, well, you know, that'll be yet to be seen, but it's, we're always going to have a place, like you said, for a film on a large screen. One thing's for sure. Uh, looking ahead at what's, what's coming around the corner for streaming, I guess consumer. I mean, we should be excited, right? 
competition is healthy in any system. So this is a good thing, ultimately, for us, despite my cynicism. Um, you got any hot picks, I guess, wrapping this up? You, you, you're looking forward to like, oh, man, I'm going to grab that Disney service the day it comes out. You're going to tentatively keep an eye on things, wait for reviews. What, what do you feel like? What's your, what's, your, what's your hot streaming list? Well, you know, it all depends on the properties. You know, if they can come out with these Star Wars series and they look like the best thing since sliced bread or like mm. Game of Thrones quality, you know, I'll probably check it out. And it's, it's important to remember that Disney also owns the Marvel licenses. And so they're going to have the entire Marvel li- library on there, minus the few Netflix series that have they've kind of created in conjunction. You know, so they're going to have this massive library. And, you know, there's going to be some... Again, it, their aim is, I think, a little bit more television-driven or you know, multi-episodic uh, storytelling as opposed to just film. But yeah. but they are, but they are also doing original film too. So, right, we'll have to wait and see. We're gonna have to. Uh, if anything, God, what do I? I'm gonna have to cut it down at some point. I, I'm already stretched pretty thin. I think I think I'm on four different streaming services. If I, I mean, I don't do Apple Music, so it's a stretch for me to jump on that. But I do have an iPhone. Who knows where that might go? Uh, Disney's definitely got my eye. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do over there exactly, but I'm... I don't know, man. Yeah, you, you put a bunch of Disney classics over there, you might get my money for a few months. We'll see. Yeah. Um, either way, we'll cover it on this show. So stay tuned to Offscript for more exciting news in the world of streaming. <laughs> and with that, we should move on to our last review of show andy you've graciously agreed to take the plot for this one uh please take it away widows this is about my life this is about my life and because it's about my life it now becomes about yours <laughs> so this is the new heist drama thriller film from Steve McQueen uh, previously did 12 Years a Slave which won Best Picture and also Shame uh, which, with Michael Fassbender those are the last two movies I kind of saw of his um, so the film takes place in modern day Chicago uh, there are at the very beginning there is a heist which goes wrong all four bank robbers are killed and their widows are kind of left in kind of in the mess of it all and not only have they lost their husbands, but uh, they are also responsible for their debt, which they, they apparently owe about $2 million to these gangsters. And if they don't somehow come up with the money, they are going to be killed. Um, and this is all happening amidst kind of a backdrop of this uh, political campaign uh, with Colin Firth and uh, kind of this other lo- local character. And that's kind of the setup of the movie. Um, Zach, what do you think? Man, I, I was skeptical about this movie going in. You know that. I, I said yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the look of it. I love that it's made by Steve McQueen. I love the cast. I like the energy around it. But the plot just seems so dumb. Like, I just, it, it just seems so ham-fisted. And I was like, who, who wrote this movie? The movie was written by Gillian Flynn, which surprised me. Uh, she, she wrote Gone Girl, if you remember that. She also uh-huh. wrote Sharp, Sharp Objects over on HBO. She's primarily a novel writer, um, but she's dabbling in film. It's also written by Steve McQueen. They both and wrote the screenplay. Is, and it's based on a book yeah. by Linda LaPlante, based on the book Widows. So this does come from a place, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't just come up with this. 
Um, and I think it. I think they made a mini series of it back in the eighties or something. I didn't know that as, as well. Yeah. I, I think the work of Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen really shines because while I said that our first film was substance over style, this film to me is style over substance. I did not like the plot. I didn't like a, a good chunk of the dialogue, but man, this movie is shot and made so well. There's so mm-hmm. much about it I like, uh, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, you, before I get into that, you, you please <laughs> t- take this ball away from me. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Steve McQueen's previous work and had pretty high standards. Um, so this film has, has a lot of what we we have come to know and, and love from heist films. You know, we, we get the team together, we go over the plan, but it's done in a much more organic way. Like, for instance, these four women are brought together by the fact that their husbands were, were bank robbers. You know, it's not, it's not, usually you get the, oh, we need a guy that can do this and a guy that can do that. And then a guy, you know, you, <laughs> sure. and it's kind of, and you and you get a, you know, an entertaining uh, bit there. So they're brought together in a more organic way. And also it's really a character study because it's, it's more about what's happening in Chicago. And I, and I think what the film is really about is um, inequality, uh, racial inequality, political inequality, financial inequality. Um, and sex inequality, and I think that is the biggest thing, or kind of the biggest theme in the film, is the kind of the difference in power and opportunity between the men and the women. Because all these women are kind of left destitute, and and not just that they don't have money; it's that they're not prepared. They're not uh, a couple of them. They have no skills. They're not educated. They're not. Um, they don't own their name isn't actually on the lease that they were told, you know, oh, it's not actually your business. It's not actually your property. It's, you know, your husband didn't tell you your name was never added to whatever. Right. Um, so th- that's what I think the film is r- is really about um, inequality. And sorry, I'm going off on these. <laughs> these no, no. Scenes. Yeah. Um, but that's what what I what really stuck out out to me. And, it, and it's told through this this heist setup that that takes a really pretty long time uh, to get to, but I think that, that that's such a great thing. It's just how long it all takes. Right. It, it very much, that, that overarching plot and theme, it reminds me a lot of, uh, in a very indirect way, reminds me of Suspiria and how it had themes of the Holocaust and device, did like divide, and it had the Berlin Wall running throughout the whole thing. Um, this movie's the same way. Yeah, it's set, it's set against the backdrop of a, a political race between Jack Mulligan, played by Colin Farrell, and 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 Jamal Manning, played by Brian Tyree Henry. I want to make sure I get that right. They're they're running for office, and one of them, one of them's trying to buy votes, and the other one is trying to trying to do a grassroots campaign. It, it's definitely definitely interesting uh, to see this immediately following the uh, the 2018 midterms. For anybody who's about <laughs> that, because right. that it felt a little at first a little tone deaf, but as the movie went on, I was like, okay, I, I can start to slide into that state of mind again. I think for a lot of people coming off of something like election fatigue, not to get particularly political, like this might this might be a little bumpy of a watch, but it doesn't sure. spend too much time on it. You're right. That's that's that inequality. That's that's where that comes from. Uh, I. I I loved the way every, this movie. Like, I loved the way the story was told. I just didn't like the story, which which sounds like sure. a, a stumble. But to dig into the heist, you're right. It feels ham-fisted. It and and but that's intentional. Uh, not in the way it's made. Steve McQueen does a brilliant job of putting this movie together, shooting sequences. Uh, all of that's fantastic. But in the way that these women come together 
and organize this heist is so clumsy. It's so uh-huh. clumsy. And it's told in a very serious way, but like in in something like Ocean's Eleven, you know, they're they're they they've got Ocean's Twelve, I think. They've got that scene with the lasers, and they, they do a practice thing before. It's like, okay, we set up a bunch of strings, and you go through this and, and practice all the lasers, and we gotta work this out. They don't do that in this, really, not not at sure. all. They they have one bit where they practice with weights and carrying things, and that's it. There's there's no practice run to to the heist before it happens. They are just trying to get things ready as fast as possible because they have like a week and they have to just hope it all works. Um, and that really adds some good tension to it. It, it seems foolish at first, but yeah. I get why it's got to be that way because if they had everything perfectly planned, it wouldn't be particularly tense. Like Unlike something like Ocean's 8 where I made it to the end of that movie and I figured, okay, well, everything's going to work out. Of course, I... I don't know in Widows what happens, like whether or not right. they actually get away with it or not. And that is truly telling of of, of the way the story is told. Uh, what right. did you... It, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, you mentioned that it, it, it's kind of clumsy, and I think it's meant to be like that because, I mean, these these women aren't... They are not bank robbers. They are, this is not what they do. And uh-huh. Elizabeth uh, Debicki's character... Alice is kind of just a, you know, she's an incredibly attractive woman, and it, it's inferred that she's just kind of lived off the men in, in her life. Um, and she, she I, I really enjoyed her subplot because she realizes that this is not a way to live. There's this really t- kind of terrible scene where her mother, played brilliantly by Jackie Weaver, mm-hmm. kind of encourages to, uh, you know, find a sugar daddy or start dating wealthy <laughs> older men. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's a really kind of gross uh, scene. And, and she, you know, her character over the course of this thing realizes, like, I need I need to be independent. I need to be able to provide f- uh, for myself so I'm not, you know, uh, victimized by, by that situation. And I and I think that's that's part of the idea. Like, the heist is almost plays second fiddle to the characters in, in yeah. the movie. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's the sandbox in which these characters express themselves, but is by no means, like the plot of the, I mean, it's the plot of the film, but you get where I'm going. There's, there's yeah. certainly bigger overarching themes. Elizabeth, dig into performances for a second. Elizabeth Debicki's Alice was heartbreaking. Like her, her character is really tough to watch at times in this movie um, because you're exactly right. She is this woman who has been beaten down. And, and despite the fact that she's standing up for herself in the movie, which is great, there are definitely some times where it's tough to watch. Uh, Viola Davis is fantastic as always. I enjoyed Colin Farrell. I, I liked Brian Tyree Henry. An outstanding performance by Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, outstanding let's talk about performance that. by Daniel Kaluuya. And before we get into him, I had this weird feeling that Steve McQueen did not get along with Michelle Rodriguez. She's shot in some weird ways in this movie. The, the, oh, her really? opening scene is entirely shot from her back. You don't see her face for the first like two minutes she's on screen. It's really mm-hmm. odd. And and I felt like she didn't get a whole lot of good lines. Like she was just in a weird place. And maybe that was an issue with performance. Maybe they just tried to do an editing. Maybe they, I don't know, just some weird energy around her character. But I'm glad she's in a movie like this. But uh, what did you think? And then let's get to Daniel Kaluuya because he was really great. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, we're talking about performances. Great performances overall. Uh, we also need to mention Robert Duvall, uh, who's in this and plays Colin Farrell's uh, father and who's also been you know apparently they're like a political dynasty in this yes and and they're trying to hold power and it's slowly kind of slipping through their grasp Mm -hmm. um and daniel kalua is is so good because he he's basically like a a drug enforcer and um you know he's 
I mean, essentially kind of a hitman. And but you know, he's he, he's got one of those things like he can't just kill people. He's got to talk to you. He's got to try to get information. And it just makes it makes you so uncomfortable when he's on screen or the way he talks and deals with people. You know, he 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 does this thing where he invades their just kind of their their private space will get real uncomfortably close and it's just like uh and it's it just it's a great performance very convincing and he's got those he's he's got like his eyes are just so piercing and he just does this thing where he doesn't blink and he just stares at somebody and he just kind of scowls there's a great sequence in here pretty early on in the movie so I don't feel like it's too spoilery uh, where he 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 has to deal with with these two kind of henchmen who he caught rapping um yeah and this whole sequence is shot in a gym um while i'm at it a lot of long takes in this movie love a good long take steve mcqueen's great at it but he's got he's got these two guys uh kind of you know getting in a scrap with daniel kaluuya's character here and he does this thing almost like man on fire where just rotates the camera around these guys in in a gym and he just keeps going around them and he he goes around them like four or five times and it just keeps building tension and it keeps getting worse and you know it's just gonna snap at some point it's it's performed brilliantly his character is great like really dug him and i I don't mean to just lean on one but like if i had to i mean i i watching the movie i was like i gotta talk about this like i did a sequence in this character like um really fantastic work Uh, performances are great all around liam neeson john bernthal both great. Like I, I want to make sure we, we we give everybody their just desserts that we can. Um, gosh, what's next? <laughs> I, I do want to I do want to take a, talk about one uh, uh, one of the long takes. Uh, and you know, I said earlier that one of the themes is is inequality. And you know, Colin Farrell is you know kind of campaigning in this ward, which is uh, you know it's a poverty stricken. There's projects. And Chicago, yes. Yeah, and he, and he's you know attempting to say, oh, I, I'm here to build you up, and you know the the other. Um, what was the other guy's name? The the guy that's running Manning. Yeah, Manning uh, and Mulligan, which there's probably something to that, but yeah. Yeah, and th- there's a great long take where, you know, he ends his campaign speech and gets in his car and and him and his uh, significant other kind of have an argument and oh, in yeah. the space yeah, yeah. in the space of this ar- argument, like he goes from the projects to his big wealthy you know, neighborhood and house that, I mean, we're talking neighborhoods that are just maybe a couple miles apart at, at most, even if that, and that, I just thought that that was a great take and it just a great way to visually um, display this kind of gross inequality. Yeah. It's all the, they mounted a camera to the front of this limo and just had it kind of looking off to the side. And slowly as this conversation turns over and gets ugly and then comes back around, the camera just slowly pans in front of the car uh, it's a really cool move. It ends up going about 90 degrees off to the right. And yeah, it's just slow. It's artistic. It's well thought out. It's storyboarded. It's it's just got that level of polish that McQueen brings to his work. And it's great. And this whole movie has that. The way it's yeah. put together is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like the plot is so clumsy? <laughs> I guess just to, it's not anything I, I, I should say directly. It's overarching to me. And I've talked about this already. The idea that that women that these women would suddenly be held responsible for the things their 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 criminal husbands were 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 iced for is just a little goofy. Like there, there's parts of this that I felt like you almost could have turned this into a comedy starring Tiffany Haddish and a handful <laughs> of other women, and it would have worked. Like as goofy as that sounds, there's even a couple sure. lines in here. There's, there's a 
It's that line in the in the trailer when uh, pardon, pardon my French, but you know uh, Michelle Rodriguez I think says you know why are we doing this and uh, Viola Davis says because nobody thinks we have the balls to pull this off. I'm like oh god, right. like come on, <laughs> like, is, what is that trailer bait line? And like that's she she delivers it with conviction like everything in this movie. It's great. Um, I just I, I really struggled with it, but something I enjoyed the heist aspect of it a lot in a lot of ways i felt like this was mcqueen making almost like a tribute to like 80s action a lot of practical effects in this movie not a whole lot of cgi i didn't think there's a bit towards the beginning where a van blows up that is so gratuitous and it's yeah. it's practical like they, they it looked like they had a you know because obviously there's somebody driving this van uh this thing blows up and like the 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 dummy they had in this van goes flying and like huge i was like my god like just so it reminded me of like a cheesy 80s action flick reminded me of something like robocop and i think mcqueen had to have looked at that for inspiration and it it comes across in the film it's it's really good stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it it definitely the action practical effects are real interesting and and really the heist itself you know it's like the opposite of of oceans 11 it's not this incredibly elaborate you know, thing where a million things have to go right. It, it's really practical. Yeah. Um, and and kind of how they have to figure out how to pull this off is also uh, very, very practical. Um, right. And I have heard complaints about the the plot. Like some people think that there there's too many. Again, there's because there's the political thing going on. There's the gangster thing going on. There's the, the women who are, who are trying to pull off this heist going yeah. on. So that's one of the that's one of the things I, I've read complaints that I've read elsewhere that didn't bother me personally. No, I thought it all tied together pretty well, but right. I, I didn't. I didn't find myself convoluted in in the political stuff. I just. I, I had problems with logistics, is all. But as far as like, kind of laying over of themes, that just gives me something to look forward to when I go back and watch it again. I, I'm okay with that. That that makes me feel like if you wanna if you wanna take this movie at its surface, you can. You can watch it for the heist stuff, and you're on your way. But if you want to dig a little deeper and you're looking for something a little bit more, it has it there for you in in, in, yeah. in that political kind of stuff. Um, and that's interesting to me. That's 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 good filmmaking. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts before we move on to recommendations? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready, too. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Widows? Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic heist film. Uh has a lot of themes, uh, which I'm all all about. And like I said, the big theme that stood out to me is inequality of many different types. Have good character development, good side plots. Um, you know, it's not quite the the Oscar contender that I was hoping maybe it would be, but it's definitely you know it, it's a good uh, fall film from a, a, a incredible director. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't hard recommend it over anything else at the movies. Uh, there's certainly other options, but uh, when this comes to what I'm what I'm guessing, I'm gonna call my shot here. HBO. It just feels like this will be an HBO hit or wherever it shows up. It is totally worth your time to watch. If you're at the theater and 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 you're kind of thinking about it, if you heard this review and going, you know, I think I think I want to go see that. Do you'll probably really enjoy it. And, and it takes it takes a different gander at at, at a female driven heist film, one that's a little bit more grounded in reality. Uh, one that's more enjoyable for it, and it's certainly got some great performances. It's it's really well made. It's it's some good some good old fashioned fine film uh, that that I think the heist world certainly wouldn't miss. Um, so yeah, that's widows, I guess. And with that, that wraps our show. Next week, we should talk about what we're seeing. 
It is going to be Thanksgiving, so we're planning on getting one out on Monday. I think we can make that happen. Um, But keep an ear to the ground either way. We're going to be seeing Disney's new Wreck-It Ralph 2. And because, honestly, I'm traveling for the holiday, we're going to watch The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix, which will be great. So do yourself a favor. Definitely watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs because it's you can watch it on your phone if you want. Uh, not that we recommend <laughs> that, but you can. Uh, and check out Wreck-It Ralph 2 if you can swing it. Uh, I, I try not to look at reviews before a film, but I've heard this one's pretty good so far. So... Yeah, I was worth. a huge fan of the first one. Me too. Yeah, I, I rarely buy Disney animated films because they're usually $30 on Blu-ray, but uh, I definitely have Wreck-It Ralph, a cool flick, and I'm looking forward to this one as well. If you enjoyed the show, if you didn't like the show, if you think we have disparaged Harry Potter or Steve McQueen, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're out there. We're excited to see what you have to say, and we want to hear more about you. So uh, check us out, get involved, and uh, tune in next week for Wreck-It Ralph 2 and Ballad of Buster Scruggs. For all of us, from all of us, for all of us, at Offscript, uh, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.